Luke chapter 5, verse 1. As people pressed in upon him, that would be Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats beside the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to thrust it out a little from the land. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out to the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we've worked all night and have caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they'd done this, they caught a great number of fish, and the net was tearing. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't fear, from now on you'll catch men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. I want to talk about the power of a seed. Because seeds are really powerful. You know, if you, if you take something and put it in the ground, you take a, a post, put up a fence, and you put a wooden post in the ground. Over the years, you come back and check that post, the bottom of it starts to decay. You get a metal post you put in there. Over the years, you come back and you check that post, it started to rust away and fall apart. And that's because... The ground is actually doing what it's made to do. You see, when a seed goes into the ground, the earth around it eats away at the seed and actually takes off the outer husk to release what's inside. That's why it eats at wood and it eats at metal and other things that are in the ground because the ground is designed to remove the barriers to releasing a seed. Right? Does that make sense? And what God's really been showing me over the last few weeks, and it sort of keeps growing and I keep looking into it, is that there's real power in a seed. One of the biggest powers we have is actually the seed that we sow by faith. that the keys, one of the keys to really breaking through in life, to really overcoming situations that are holding you back, is actually seeds through faith. And there's this what's the word I'm looking for? There's a real power around that. There's a there's a release that's around that. And if you go into today's... Sorry, I've got about ten thoughts all flowing through. I'm trying to just condense it down into the one. Let's just stop a minute. Let's just pray in tongues for a minute. Come on, I share when I get what God really wants to say. Because I really feel like he wants to release some faith that as we head into worship and so on, that we're doing it by faith. And what I sense is that We've become a bit like Simon. That's what I was saying. There we go. You know, we're supporting Dockers. No, sorry, wrong Simon. <laughs> You've got Simon Peter here, 
And he's down there and he's been working hard. And the system we're in says, if you want to get ahead, work hard. The only way to get ahead is hard work. And I'm sure there are generations of people that can demonstrate to you that hasn't worked for them. How many people have worked hard only to be retrenched from their job? How many people have worked hard to suddenly be hit by a sickness or personal situations that change? You know, the market falls out of a place and it's gone. You know, I mean, look at farmers. How hard do many of them work and yet how many of them struggle to get by and, you know, things like drought come through and so on. When you get into the world system that says you only get ahead by working hard, you start to limit your capability. You start to exclude God and you become like they were at the Tower of Babel where they went, we will do this by our own hands. Because that's the, the heart of the Babylonian system was started then. That men got together and said, we will build a tower unto God. We're going to show that we're better than God. We're show we're greater than God. And they started to form this system of self-sufficiency. And we were never made to be self-sufficient. We were made to be God-efficient. We were meant to be in his system. You know, Adam was placed in the garden. Did he plant the garden? Did he water the garden? What did he do? He picked fruit out of the garden. He spoke to the garden. He didn't toil at all. His whole job was to look after the garden through the words that he spoke and the power he had because your words are seed. And I've worked out that God keeps showing me that every part of our life is about a seed, that you are where you are because of seeds that you've planted, whether they're good or bad. If you plant bad seeds, you're going to get a bad crop. You know, if I walk out in my backyard and I just put a whole lot of weeds, seeds all through my garden, what's going to happen? The weeds are going to grow, aren't they? You know, I was actually doing my retic yesterday. It's that time of the year, you know, you can start doing this. And I dug up around my retic because these, these things keep sprouting up all through my lawn and they've been annoying me. And what I discovered is that as I dug it up and I got underneath some of this stuff, that there are actually bulbs all through my garden, all through my lawn. Now, I don't want bulbs all through my lawn. But this little seed has been multiplying itself and multiplying itself and spreading itself throughout my lawn. Because that's what seed does. And the fruition of your life right now is the seeds you have sown. And we don't like to hear that. We like to think, oh, it's our circumstances or it's this situation or that situation. But if we have trusted in the world system, then we put our seed into the world system. And we reap a harvest out of that. And the system of Babylon is actually designed to limit you. Our education system was designed to make servants and soldiers. That's the basis of our education system. And it hasn't changed in hundreds of years. It was designed to train up servants and to train up soldiers. 
to give them a basic education to be able to do those roles. It was about control even then. And it's the same now. And if you don't believe me, try and change something in the education system. See how you go. And this is how it is. And, and we're trained and educated from a young age. And I'm not blaming anybody or saying it's, it's just it's the world that we live in and you don't know what you don't know. Isn't that right? But the great thing is that we have revelation through the Word of God and He's revealing more and more about how we break that system of our life. And Simon is here in this passage and he's in the system. He's in there and he, what's he been doing all night? Toiling. Do you know what Proverbs says about toil? It says that the blessing of the Lord, what? The blessing of the Lord makes you rich. And you're thinking, oh, it's spiritual riches. No, the word there is wealthy and prosperous. Right? He's talking about physical. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes you rich, and he adds no trouble, toil, or worry to it. See, toil is having to work hard by your own strength to get where you want to go. But the Babylonian system is designed that you work hard and actually don't get there. It's a lie that's in the system. Because I think some of the hardest working people are the people at the bottom of the food chain. Yeah? I've got to be honest. Like in my workplace, there are a lot of people that work harder than me, but I probably make twice what they make. And they're there, they're in there from 8 to 5 and they're working hard and they're going through and blah, 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 blah. And I just float around and do my job. <laughs> because that's how the system works. It's designed to keep you oppressed. You know, and then you add on to that the whole debt thing. What is debt designed to do? Take what you have and give it to somebody else. That's what debt's designed to do. If I'm a bank and I lend you money, what is my purpose in lending money? Is it so you can achieve your goals? No. We might say that. That might be the sales piece that goes with it, but it's not. I'm lending you money as a bank so that what? I can make more. Oh, but I'm helping you along the way. No, I'm not. I'm taking from you and putting you into a contract that binds you up. While we're on that path, let's keep going down that path a little bit. <clears throat> I was listening to Kenneth Copeland. He was talking about, you know, um, you know, the Bible says, owe no man anything except the debt of love. Now, debt is not, it's not wrong to go into debt. Because if it was wrong to go into debt, then Deuteronomy wouldn't say things like to be a lender, not a borrower. All right? So it's not a sin to go into debt, unless God tells you specifically not to. But it's not God's best for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, Because he wants us to be the lender and not the borrower. You know, the lender is the one that has the money and is giving it out and profiting off it. The borrower is the one who's paying all the time. 
So he says to God, he says, look, you know, how is it that, you know, if I'm not well, I can go to a doctor and, you know, get medication and you're okay with that, but you're not okay with us going and borrowing money from a banker. He said, what's the difference? Because they both sort of come out and, you know, moving you to where you need to be. And he said, God said to him as quick as, he said, he gave him the revelation, he says that when you go to a doctor, you're not entering into a covenant. But when you go to a lender, you're entering into a covenant agreement. That's what a contract is. That you are saying to them, I will make this payment and I will be in this servitude situation for this amount of time. It's quite powerful, isn't it? They don't get all condemned about it. I'm not saying get condemned and, you know, you've got to go where your faith's at. If that's where you're working, that's fine. All right? But it's just something to think about when we're in the system and how we overcome the system that we have to change how we think. That our thinking is that we have to do this, this, and this to get to there. And God says, no, I want to teach you the power of a seed. And you've got Simon here. And Simon is in the system and he's been toiling all night. He's been working hard. And what has he got for his toil? What some of us feel like we get for our toil? Nada. He got nothing. Zip. You know, a couple of blowies in the net. Sitting on the shore, poking the things out of frustration. <laughs> and then he's there, and, and so they're washing the nets. Now, this is a big task. It's not like a little tiny net. I mean, the net's bigger than this, you know, this room sort of thing, this size. And, and they're out there, and they're cleaning off the nets and getting all the bits of seaweed and, you know, the things that people are throwing in the lake that get caught up in the net, and they're getting it all off and having to clean it all off so it doesn't start breaking. And then this dude starts talking next to them. Jesus is there talking away and they're cleaning the nets and, you know, they would have been hearing him and probably thinking I'd rather turn the radio on, but, you know, it's all right. Because they're tired. They've been up all night. They're frustrated. They're probably hungry. I just want to go home, have some breakfast, you know, see my family. And then this guy's been talking and the thing is they're hearing what he's saying and faith starts to rise up. And then Jesus turns to Simon and he says, Simon... I want to use your boat. Now, he's got a choice at this point. He can either go, look, I'm sorry, I'm busy, I'm hungry, I'm cleaning my nets, find someone else's boat. But he's heard something. A little bit of faith has risen within him. He's hearing Jesus preaching and it starts to rise up. And so he goes and says, okay, look, you know, you guys keep cleaning, I'll take this guy out. And so he lets out from the... Into the, into the water a little bit, and Jesus keeps teaching. You know, Jesus is very clever here because, you know, water's a natural amplifier. And he's on the side of a hill, so as he talks, it's bouncing off the waves, off the water, and everybody can hear him preach. And at the end of it, he turns to Simon and he says, let's go out a little bit further. And he says, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So Simon's gone from, yeah, I'll take this guy out and let him, you know, have a talk, to suddenly, now I've got to put my net back in. I think we've talked about this before, you know. He really didn't go and get his best net to do this. 
I think he's sort of going, we've just cleaned the nets and you want me to go and get them all dirty again, which means I've got to clean them again and there's another hour or so of cleaning them and I'm really, really hungry now, you know, and you keep talking and preaching and I'm stuck out here in this boat. (coughs) And he says, look, I've worked all night. And I reckon he would have said, you know what, I'm tired, I've had enough, I've worked all night and I've caught nothing. But look, I've been hearing you preach and I think you got something. So at your word, I'll let down the net. And what did Jesus say? Launch out in the deep and let down your nets, plural. But Peter went at his point of faith. And that's okay. He didn't let down his nets, he let down a net. Because I reckon at the end of the boat was the old gungy one that you know, he hadn't quite thrown out yet and they maybe used bits of it to repair other nets, I don't know. But he takes the old net and he throws it in the water and what happens? What happens with that seed he's sown? When he's sown a seed and taking Jesus out into the water and put aside his own self so that Jesus can teach. What happens when he obeys the seed that Jesus shows in him when he speaks the word and he puts the net over the side of the boat? What happens? He starts to reap a harvest. So much so that that net starts to break. And he calls out to his partners and they bring in the other boat. And they fill both boats. How much? So they began to sink. See, that's Jesus' economy. It wasn't because of their toil. It wasn't because of their hard work. It wasn't because they'd done the right thing and made the right investments. They prospered and God blessed them because he sowed a seed. What was his seed? His seed was, I'm putting aside all the work and things I need to do to actually invest into Jesus' ministry and I'm taking you out of my boat. And we may think, you know what, that's not a really big deal. He just took Jesus out a little bit. But that's the power of a seed. I mean, it probably was a big deal for him. He's been working all night. Think about it. If you went to work, had a really tough day, nothing goes right, everything falls apart, and you come home, do you really feel like giving something to somebody else at that time? No, you just want to come home, have something to eat, and just relax, yeah? Yeah? Or is it just me? Yeah, I had one of those weeks. It wasn't a really productive week. Meetings I had, people get cancelling. Like, I'm driving from one site to the next, you know, 40, 50 Ks. I get to this site and they go, oh, we need to cancel our meeting. It's like, you could have called me. I've just driven all the way here and I've got two meetings and they both cancel. That's like one phone call, just one phone call. And it's frustrating. And then I get to the next site and I'm at this site where they're supposed to be contacting all these people and there's no phones. I kid you not. (laughs) And I looked at the guy and I said, you got eight staff here, what are you doing? He mumbled out some sort of reply and the phones are coming tomorrow. And I just look and go, so I go to the next site and, you know, oh, you need to see this guy, we can't see him because we don't have a scanner. So we can't scan his docs in. How long haven't you had a scanner? Since June. 
And I'm going, okay then. So you come home and you don't feel like you've produced everything, anything. It's just been one frustration after another and you ring up and they go, oh, yeah. So go to the next site and, okay, you need to see people. Yeah, we can't. We don't have a security door. When they designed the site, did they think about this? No. And it's just like, oh. Because we're at 11% of the target we're supposed to be at. And it's frustrating. And I don't walk in the door and go, I want to give to somebody. I want to walk in the door and I want to clock somebody. (laughs) And it's frustrating and it's annoying. And it's like, and this is Simon. Can you imagine that? They've thrown the net out and they've pulled in a couple of old boots. And he's thrown the net out and he's pulled in a couple of, you know, Blowfish or something. And it's just like time after time after time, hour after hour, frustration, frustration. And he doesn't really feel like it, but he sows the seed he can see. And he uses what faith he does have to make room for Jesus to be able to preach. And he reaps a harvest. And what I love is it doesn't take long to reap a harvest. Within the hour, he's reaping such a massive harvest. And it's not because of his brilliance. It's not because he's good at what he did. And it's not even because he was absolutely full of faith. Because his first response to Jesus was, here's my doubts. I've been going all night and I've got nowhere. But you, a carpenter... But he still acts in faith. He uses what faith he has. Does he put his best out there? No. He put out his old broken net. He still used the faith he had. He still sowed a seed. And I want to say to you, whatever situation you're in, are you sowing the seed? Is your life a life of sowing and reaping, because that's how the kingdom works. The kingdom of God is sowing and reaping with a whole lot of faith and love added to it. That's how the kingdom of God works. And if you're sitting in a situation and going, I don't seem to be breaking through, what sort of seeds are you sowing? Are you fighting the system or are you overcoming the system or are you just sitting under it you know if you're looking for financial breakthrough are you sowing seed you know are you in the first instant at least tithing and then above the tithe are you putting seed out there Because you see, the tithe opens up the windows of heaven, but you need to have seed in the ground to be able to pull a harvest in. And he says that you can reap 30, 60, 100, even a thousandfold on the seeds that you've sown. But are you adding faith to your seed? Or are you killing your seed with your words?
Are you killing your seed with your actions? You know, there are seed blockers like unforgiveness. You have unforgiveness in your life, it'll kill your seed. That's like spraying Roundup on your seed. It'll kill it. The words that you speak. You can't sow a seed and go, I don't think it's going to work. That's like pouring concrete on your seed. It's almost like, here's my seed. You know, I'm planting a tomato seed. Now I'm going to put a layer of concrete over the top and say, yeah, grow through that. Go on. That's what your words do. You see, your words are powerful because they're seeds as well. What are you speaking into your seed? Are you speaking, I plant my seed and I believe there's a harvest on that seed? One of the problems we have is then we go and dig the seed up. Is it growing? <laughs> That's what we do. We go, God, is this, is, is this working? I need to know if this is working. Let me dig up my seed and see. We need to put the seed in the ground. We sow that seed and we sow it in faith. You get the word of God for your seed. I'm believing for this and you speak that word. And then you don't speak anything else. And when the pressure comes, that's when you really find what you're made of. When the pressure comes, don't start to speak negative. Oh, we can't afford to do that. We don't have enough for that. Oh, that just doesn't happen for us. You've got to change your seed. Change your watering. When the pressure comes, there are two things to do. One is shut up. And don't speak the rubbish. Two, if you're going to talk, only talk the word of God. You don't have to be able to see how it's going to happen. Simon couldn't see the fish. They were in the lake. They were there all night. But he couldn't see them. He just needed to act on what Jesus said. What do you say? At your word. You need to speak the word of God into your seed. Three, Mark 11 tells us that you've got to believe in your heart. Not your head, your heart. Let me tell you what your head's going to do. It don't work. It's impossible. How can this be? That's what your head's going to do. And we've got to learn to start to speak from our spirit, not from our mind. Because your mind is the flesh side, you know, that likes to be gratified and goes by what it can see in the natural. We have to move out of it. This is why we step into heaven. It's not just so we can have a good old time and, oh, saw great things. We need to step into heaven so that we can start to govern over our own situation and over our city and over our state. And we do that from our spirit, not from our mind. So we tell our mind to start engaging its imagination to see heaven and follow our spirit. Yeah? I want to, it's really interesting. <coughs> Beck's in the room, I've talked to her about it. But, you know, when Beck led Hub a few, nights, a few Monday nights ago, and we started to do some declarations. And one of the things that really came through a lot of the groups as we started to do that was that we started to talk about prosperity over this state a releasing of prosperity and a generous spirit over this state. 
And I was amazed. I've been reading the paper over the last few months or last few years, really. And if you read anything about finance, where they talked about the state's finances, it's been really negative. You know, there's been a big whinge about no GST and a big whinge about, you know, we don't have this and we don't have that and blah, blah, blah. Whether it was federal or state, it was all blah, 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 blah. After we declared that, yesterday's paper, massive article about how prosperous WA is. There has been no statement like that at all up until now. That as we prayed into that, as we declared that, it's changed the mentality of the government. And they're looking at the state, suddenly $1.2 billion is coming back into the state. That wasn't there before. That they're looking at the economy and going, there's a turning. There's an uplift. The outlook is really positive. So much so they're changing the official rating of the state. But not just that, it's actually changing the rating of the nation. And the statement by the Federal Treasurer is that really the nation is writing off the goodness of WA. And the outlook is positive. And there's been no declaration like that. That's the power of the seed. You see, when we got together and we declared that into the heavenly, we planted a seed into the soil that starts to reap a harvest and starts to cause prosperity. And you can do that same thing in your personal life. That as you get the word of God and what he says about your situation and you start to declare that into your situation. But don't kill it by then going negative because your mind says, I can't see this happening, the pressure's on, uh, and it steps back. Um, it's something actually that I was listening to Dr. Carolyn Leaf about this and about how often when we're taught about what we're saying and what we believe in our heart, but you receive what you believe in your heart. But often our mind kicks in and starts to think, how is this possible? We worry, we stress, we look at our finances, we look at our relationships, whatever you're trying to believe in your heart, God. And we know deep down that God is true, that he is faithful, that he has us, that he had plans for us are good. We know that, don't we? But then our mind comes in. And so often what is in our heart and what is going in our mind, there's a gap. And sometimes there's a complete disparity between the two. Anybody else get that? And so what, what is one of the things that um, I really the Lord was speaking about was that to not just go, oh, well, I can't think that. Because if you're thinking it, it's there. And if what you're, what you're saying and what you're thinking are two different things, you're actually causing an issue in your brain. Yeah? You're actually causing brain damage in a way because you're, you're not actually believing what you're saying. So I really encourage... We have to take time to reflect about what we actually believe, to look at what we're thinking and examine our thoughts and then to deal with them according to the word. We can't just be saying one thing and but we're actually, you know, like you can say one thing but you don't really believe it and then it's causing this, you know, friction. Is to, okay, I'm looking at my finances and straight away you get afraid and then you go, oh, no, I can't be afraid. I've just got to speak. You know, God will provide for all my needs and you, and you, and you have these confessions that you read out and that's great 
But if you're constantly thinking, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, what am I going to do? Look at my mortgage, how do I pay? I'm getting older, blah, blah, blah. And your head is screaming at you. That's when we need to go, stop. Let's examine these thoughts and pull them because they're sitting there and sometimes they can be in the back of your mind and that's why you don't sleep at night. And that's what you think about as you go to sleep. As I always think that you've been pushing down all day, they come up. And so we've got to actually go, what do I actually think about my finances? What do I think about whatever circumstance that is causing the disparity between what's in your heart, what you know you should believe, and what's in your thinking, is to go, let's take these into the conscious thought and examine them and metagogue. That's where we write it down and then we all the little words or thoughts coming off of that word. So finances, house, mortgage, future, would put it down and then go, okay, what am I thinking about these things? And examine them and then apply the word to that. So it's not just a whole lot of jumble of fear and worry, but actually what am I thinking about? What thoughts do I need to get rid of here? What thoughts do I need to take captive to Jesus? And Lord, you are above this. Every, everything must bow its knee to you. So I need to think about what I'm thinking about and take it in and go, right, let's target this. Instead of spouting a whole lot of stuff, that there's a, there's, but there's a gap between what you know you should believe and what the word says and what you're actually thinking. Because that's how we shift things. Because otherwise it's just a whole lot of words and you don't see change. So think about what you're thinking about and then apply the word to that. And it takes time if you've got a fear or you, it's a generational thing or you've just, you know, you've been battling something. So take the word and look at it and say, does this line up with what I'm actually saying? And, and, and I know God's word says if it doesn't, that's where we take it apart, reflect, be honest where you're at. There's no point declaring all these things but in, if you don't really believe it. So what are you thinking and what are you believing? Because your mouth will actually speak what you be- what's in your heart under pressure. It's all good on a Sunday or a Monday night, but it's when we're under pressure, that's what's actually going to come out of our mouth. So think about what you're thinking about and apply the word to that. And then the step on that is you have to act. And the key to acting is not sticking your head in the sand and denying where you're at, which I find people do, you know. They're not putting me in a body bag. I'm not being stuck in a grave. I'm alive. That's right. You need to face where you're at and deal with where you're at. When it comes to health, when it comes to your finances, people go, you know, they're coughing up a lung. They won't go and see a doctor. But they've been coughing up a lung for six months. You know what I mean? It's like, obviously, your faith is not at that point. And you've got to be honest with yourself. If your faith is not at that point, that's actually okay. Simon's faith wasn't at that point. I mean, he was a Docker supporter for crying out loud. No, <laughs> no that, again, like I said, there's delusion. You know, <laughs> face the reality, metagogue. No, they're not ever going to win. No. <laughs> But Simon was honest. He says, I've worked all night. He didn't deny his reality. But he added faith to his reality. You know, if you're struggling financially, then go, okay. I mean, I'm amazed. That if, if, you don't, if, if you keep doing the same thing, you end up in the same situation. And, you know, people come and we do marriage counselling and other types of counselling. And one of, the, one of the biggest areas we do counselling is in finances. 
people have this logic that, you know, I have a financial background, so therefore I must know what I'm talking about. Sometimes. <laughs> but when it comes to basic order of your finances, there are some things you can do that are really simple. And there's actually a book we recommend. You know, I said, go and read this book and actually follow the steps in it. But you know what? If people don't get the book and don't follow the steps, you know what happens? They end up in the same situation. And the same stuff keeps going round and round and round and round. Why? Because if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result, no matter how much faith you add to it. You know, and they take the word of God, and they declare the word of God, but they don't deal with their reality. And they don't make changes, because it's not just what you speak, it's what you do. That's what you really believe is what you do. You need to have action to your faith. I think people either do one of three things. One, they actually take some wisdom, act on the wisdom, add their faith to that and see change. Two is they deny it and think, I don't have to do anything, it's fine, I'll just stick my head in the sand and, you know, hopefully something happens. Or three, they get ridiculous. And they think, I'm a faith person, so they go and do something that's totally presumptuous on God and get themselves in bigger problems. You know, most wealth is built step by step by step. The Bible says that. Little by little, great wealth is built. If you have a financial challenge, we try and go from here to here just because we've read a verse. It takes ongoing inputting of the Word of God to bring change. And it changed, then you acting on that change. You know, it's like, okay, the Word of God says this, says I'm prosperous. Okay, well, I need to maybe pay off my credit card first. So what can I do to pay that off? Rather than going, God will pay it off and I'll keep running it up. You know? I'm sorry, but that's how people think. They think God will take care of it. I have no responsibilities. No, what does James say? Faith without action is dead. It's pointless. It achieves nothing. You have to put action to your faith because it's not by your works. He says, I will bless the work of your hands. And he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think, dream or imagine, but he does it through us. You know, what if Simon had not thrown the net over? Would the fish have jumped into the boat? No. Because he had to put an action to it, an action that he could do. Maybe he didn't do it to the best of his ability, but he still did an action. And that's how it is with faith. You have to act with wisdom. Listen to people who actually know what they're talking about in that area. Because you see, otherwise we get arrogant and we think we know better. Or this one I love is we see a little change and then we try and run. It's like, you know, I've been to the gym for a week, so now I can lift 200 kilos. What's going to happen? You're going to end up with a barbell across your chest crushing you. You need to be consistent. When you step into faith, you take a step, and then what happens? You take the next step, and then you take the next step until the point where your muscles are built, and then you can start to run. 
but that's usually longer than most of us think. Because God wants us to get faith inside us to be able to handle more. We're not called just to be governors of our own lives, but governors of our suburbs and of our city and of our state and our nation. But we need to learn to govern ourselves through faith. How? By sowing seeds. The words that we speak are seeds. If you, if you have a financial... I mean, Dale and I are wanting to, to get another home. We want to get a bigger property. So you know the first thing we did? was we started to get the word of God on there and we've sowed a seed and we'll sow more seeds. We take our money and we give it in as a seed. We sow it. Because then that's got something to grow and reap a harvest. Because you see, when a farmer puts a seed in a field, if he puts 100 seeds in, he doesn't expect to reap 100 seeds back. That one seed will multiply ten, hundreds of thousands of times. Because that's what seed does, isn't it? You know, I don't plant one tomato seed to get one tomato pack. I want a bush full of tomatoes. You've got to be planting a seed by faith. You've got to be watering that seed through your word and what you speak. You've got to be facing up to your stuff and dealing with your stuff. Not denying it, dealing with it. God has breakthrough for you. And it's time to get out of the ordinary into the extraordinary. But you do that through faith. Simon went from being an ordinary fisherman to an extraordinary disciple. Because he made a choice to step out in faith. If he'd never put that net over, do you think Jesus would have said, come follow me? If he'd never put his boat out when he didn't feel like it, do you think Jesus would have said, come follow me? See, the Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen. I used to wonder by that. Why is that? And then I realized it's because we're actually all called, but how we respond to God's call in our life is whether we're chosen to go up to a new level in him. How are we stepping into maturity? What's maturity? Maturity is acting upon what we know with wisdom. It's walking in that love. You want to walk by faith? You want to be pleasing to God? Because what does it? Then you need to act with wisdom and keep growing and keep sowing and keep building, and keep facing up to step into all that he has.